Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling like a home wrecker. Oh no, why is that? Because I'm here to, you know, distort and break up traditional ideas of femininity and, uh, yeah, and that is what today's guest is also doing um which i love and you are you are a home wrecker i've heard people describe you as a home wrecker (laughs) in margate the rumors are going around aren't they um today's guest is an amazing artist originally from sweden but now based in berlin and this idea of home wrecking is um the central title of their new london exhibition which runs until the end of december and um i mentioned ideas of femininity and kind of um maybe like hypersexualized and kind of um this idea of women within popular culture particularly in advertisements for domestic items like um laundry detergent sofas um even prams and prams have actually become a theme in their work that they're also as well as being an incredible powerful um artist and sculptor they they have also collaborated a lot on in different mediums and across different platforms, even with like Balenciaga and all kinds of kind of um, different collaborations. And right now they're collaborating with the collector um, and the uh, gallery, The Perimeter, which is a private collection based in London. But they're now staging incredible exhibitions. You yourself even curated one, didn't you, Russ? I did. It was uh, mine and Alex Patalis. Uh, it was works from our... Um, collections which reflected each other and it, was, and it was about like a reflection of you was the title of the exhibition and it was just bringing in pieces that really felt like they were complementing each other because we've been individual collectors but yet we've had the same sort of ideas around uh, acquiring work so that was a really fascinating exhibition and the space is incredible on Brownlow Moose in um, Brownlow Muse not Moose Brownlow <laughs> Muse in uh, Clerkenwell in London. And I really love Alex because Alex um, alongside like buying buying artists work is actually really committing himself to the presentation of new ideas and i think this exhibition is so powerful and you and i both loved it so much that we wanted to meet today's guest so we are very excited to welcome to talk art all the way from berlin anna Anna hi anna hello hi (laughs) how are you thank you for having me i'm good i'm good so you're you're in Berlin in an area called Kreuzberg, is that correct? Uh, actually, I'm a Mitte in oh. Mitte girl. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's very it's sort of central um, Berlin. 
But my studio is in, in Kreuzberg. So yeah, that's correct. So so for Berlin, is Kreuzberg or Mitte, these are hubs for artists to have spaces? I think I think typically Kreuzberg would probably be more uh, or used to be the where artists would, would be located, but nowadays people are sort of moving more more and more to the outskirts of the city. It's getting kind of difficult to find uh, studio spaces. And why why Berlin? So you, you were born in, in Stockholm in Sweden. How did you end up in Berlin yeah. and why was that a place that you sort of set up? I think it just sort of happened this way. I, I, I went to art school in Frankfurt, Stadelschule, uh, and um, but then I that was uh, I graduated in Stockholm, um, and I sort of realized that Stockholm felt a bit too small, or I needed to sort of just um, yeah move move on and. Berlin was sort of the, first, the the place where I had I knew people there, and it was still relatively easy to you know start something new, um, whilst other cities were just and where I was at the time way too, you know, uh, expensive and and difficult. So it was a very practical decision, but yeah, I'm happy about it because Berlin still just has this sort of um connection to elsewhere in the world so what you do in berlin doesn't necessarily stay there which i think is a really good thing i I always felt like uh berlin had a really strong aesthetic as well and i feel like with the kind of work you're making it almost kind of makes sense that you're making it in berlin somehow Mm. because there's a real like urban aesthetic but also a kind of hard-edged I don't know if it, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like a kind of nonchalant cool thing. It's like, and I don't mean that as a negative. I mean it as a really great thing. It's like a language of its own. And there's something really specific about your approach to sort of sculpture and I don't know, making work that like ha- has Berlin actually like inspired that? Because I've always felt like there's so much kind of blank, like empty spaces in Berlin. You can like walk down streets and it's empty. But then when you get inside buildings, it's full of people and there's loads of people there doing stuff. But there is this kind of like desolate atmosphere at times. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that for me, that it allows a lot of headspace and the city's not so demanding uh, uh, per se like you can really sort of fo- get in a really good focus here um and then if you want to meet with people and, and uh, you know there are always things happening but it's not that it's sort of uh yeah it's never in your face or, or anything like that but i do probably i'm not sure about um i mean i'm sure depending on where I am, I sort of source the material uh, that's in my immediate surrounding. So mm. um, I remember just when I moved to Berlin, I was sort of, um, I spent a lot of time in Sonnenallee and these places where like Neukölln, where yeah, there are a lot of small shops that would, would sell um these sort of knockoff handbags or uh, just pile up uh, you know kind of i guess yeah it's kind of cheap um uh, suitcases and and uh, so i would i would really you know sort of incorporate all that into my 
uh, into my work one way or another. So maybe in that sense, it has had this sort of immediate, uh, it's been reflected sort of in this immediate way in my in my work. Well, I feel like with Berlin as well is that you don't know where the party is as a tourist, but yet as soon as you get told or you get in with people, then suddenly this door opens and as Rob was saying, then you're in this warehouse full of people and you're like, where have you all been? And I feel like with your work, it's like, I, for me, I feel like you're this kind of, you're doing, you're incredibly successful, but you're still this kind of secret. And then when you discover your work and you walk into an exhibition, it's literally like, what the fuck is this? This is like next level. And this has all been going on. And I've not, I've not really seen it. It, it has this real, it, it, it is so striking your practice and, and the sculptures and what you are doing when it comes to installation that it, it is, it's sort of, it's like unlike anything I've ever seen and it, and it ch is changing the dial. Yeah, like, I, Russ, you know what I, I said to someone the other day, it's like another world. And I feel yeah, like you, you enter this world fantasy. and then you get sucked into it. It's almost like an alternate reality. I love it so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Um, really, I think, I mean, of course, I'm the center of my own uh, universe. So for me, I it's been here all this time, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's of hard to, yeah. I, I, um, love, I love this story then. I, I want to go back and this story I, I read about you and you are the center of it. And it did used to come from you, but I think I've read now that you're trying to make the art outside of yourself rather than you being integral to it. But when you were younger, at school, you used to dress in clothes that were ultra feminine and you told people that you were quite promiscuous. I hope this isn't triggering okay to bring up, but there was for many years, your teachers, I think you said, and other students called you a slut. But instead of being shy about it, you sort of embraced this persona and became even more kind of ultra feminine and it's something that you were able to sort of... Do you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of Dolly Parton tells this story about how it was she, she dresses the way she dresses because she's inspired by this woman who was like told that she was really cheap. And she has this phrase, like, it costs a lot of money to look this cheap. But everyone else was kind of looking at this woman, seeing her as trash. But for Dolly Parton, she was her hero. And I feel like you were sort of... In, that sort of energy you were embracing... As, uh, as, a, as an adolescent and really giving yourself agency for whatever this persona was. Can we talk about that? Because that, I find it so inspiring. Sure. Like, I mean, I was, uh, this was exactly yeah, when I was so, from my, my early teenagers. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess I just sort of encountered the a, a world of uh, I guess grown-ups mostly a lot of teachers and were sort of outraged by the way I was dressing which for me wasn't really that you know big of a deal like I, everybody I thought you know Spice Girls was I was kind of a baby Spice into let's say um Lil Kim hardcore album was my favorite at the love, time. Love, love that. Yeah, right. So, and it's, for me, that was sort of really uh, something that I just loved full-heartedly. But then, uh, gradually understanding how, you know, getting this sort of, uh, I guess, slut shamed on a on a daily basis for years, literally in uh, school both from um, 
yeah, teachers, but even that's mad. The teachers were saying like, it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like how can you call like a thirteen-year-old girl a slut? Like it's really not. <laughs> it's it's kind of insane. Um, but so that obviously back then I wasn't. I did not know anything about feminism. I did not have any of that. Um, you know, I didn't have that vocabulary or any of that knowledge. Um, but later on, I sort of understood that this is, I think Dolly Parton is a really, is a really good example because it is, a, she, she sort of embraces something that I find also, I mean, it's, it's both obviously problematic at the, in the sense that, you know, I'm not, I'm not, it's, it's, it's like, I think the way I would approach my work is that I, I don't have like any clear answers. It's not that I'm just like going to go out on the, uh, you know, celebrating uh, a slut parade or anything like that. But I do think that there is something that comes out of a lived experience of, you know, growing up as a, as a female slash femme identifying person and how how the world sort of uh, treats you and then bounce it back onto the, that very same attitude. I don't know, it's, it's really, instead of toning it down, just sort of t- to turning it up instead, like, just, yeah. But I mean, that's like, like you're talking about the Spice Girls, Emma Bunton, Baby Spice, and Little Kim. Well, that's exactly what they did. Everybody was saying, tone it down, don't do that. And they just go the opposite direction and push it. You know, there's been so many icons, like Madonna, for example, in history, who has just been like, middle finger up, absolutely not. I'm going to make you even more shocked. But even recently, like Taylor Swift, like reissued her album because she's re-recording everything. And she's released a song called Slut, which wasn't on the original album, I think, because the record label didn't want it on there. But it was her response to everyone calling her a slut because, you know, she might have gone on dates with however many guys, whatever, over a period of a year, whatever. You know, no one even knows what happens in her life, but they just, she was getting slut shamed by fans and by like the public generally, like trolls. And I love the fact she wrote a song about it. I was like, go Taylor. It made me love her even more. The agency of that and then finding, you know, as artists, how exciting it is that you can channel that into a practice. And what we see when we come to you is these, these incredibly empowering female forms that are not, you know, on first glance, you could feel like there was some sort of um, narrative. And I mean, a lot of people are projecting narratives that there's a narrative of, are they victims? Are they victims of something? But not, they they have absolute agency in the way that, you know, uh, like a a lap dancer or or a pole dancer, for example, you would, as society, we project onto them that poor them, they've ended up there because you know, life has got taken a wrong path. But actually the reality is, is that that's their own choice. Many of them, they're sex positive. That's what they want to do. And, and they're making a living. Exactly. And these characters, these characters that, are, that exist in your worlds have total agency and they're giving a permission to stare, which I'm obsessed with. And they are aware you're there, but they're just like getting on with their lives. I think it's some, something also happens when you perform something, you know, 
if, if slightly wrong, uh, meaning slightly too much, or um, you know, if like I, I did this show back in 2011, as my graduation show was um, about the idea of an it girl, and um, I invited five uh, women that or girls that I've been I was interviewing a number maybe. 50 people about their ideas of an it girl and um, ended up working with five who were sort of performing their notion of uh, what an it girl is for them uh, at the opening in, in the exhibition. So the whole setup was sort of a PR event for it. Um, and when I sort of did a uh, some research about what, where this this does this idea come from and when was it even coined? Uh, it dated back to somewhere time in the twenties uh, in Hollywood, and it's all about being effortlessly cool and sexy. And for me, I I think it's interesting this idea that it has to be effortless, because the moment you start seeing that there is some sort of work behind this. Uh, you know, character, this performance, um, it it starts to sort of fall apart or people think that it's fake or it's, uh, you know, um, they, they, you, they, you can sort of start tracing back if you're, if you're what, what sort of cultural background or so, uh, you have. And so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm I, I think this, um, yeah, I think there is something happening when the effort becomes uh, visible and when there's also the, 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 when it's not no longer, I guess, effortless and when we start to see, <clears throat> you know, that, and that, that's when it's this, this idea of, of whatever we, this, this it is, starts to become apparent that it is sort of just it's a very sort of artificial idea to begin with um and there is some agency in, in that i'd say to to sort of misperform something or sort of because while doing so you sort of break out of the norm that is supposed to be Sort of seamless and uh, uh, pleasing, or uh, you know, whatever. So, are your are your characters effortless, or are they making an effort to the point where we're seeing the work? I think they're working pretty hard, actually. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I I would say so. I yeah. think they're quite. I I'm not sure. I wouldn't call them effortless. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, because they're like, they're like designer clad, and they're they're really the, the the fashion on it is like incredible. We were talking about Balenciaga. I mean, they're all in Balenciaga uh, Crocs with heels, or they're in Balenciaga slides. <laughs> but it, but is it those. if if they're making uh, so much of an effort? It makes me think of things like the Kardashians or reality TV in the fact that we're kind of seeing all the work that goes into this persona. Is that are they a comment on class? Are they a comment on kind of taste? I think so, yeah. Um, and I think all this, you know, when these markers become visible, when it's clear that 
you know, um, if you if you do your lip liner slightly outside of the lip, or you just have a little bit too much cake makeup, and or it's just you know all of these um, uh, markers that's supposed to be sort of invisibly seamless and smooth starts to really get pressed to the surface and you get kind of crack up and becomes very sort of materialized in that sense. Um, it starts to, I mean, yeah, it starts to really tell a story about, yeah, class and, and gender identity and uh, all these sort of nuanced uh, markers are, are really, you know, uh, telling in that sense. Uh, and I think in my work, what I'm trying to do is to really look for um yeah these different these all these details let's say i i think i'm just really obsessed with with the all these small details that are uh giving all of these things away in a sense talking of those little like indicators of small details i feel like if you think about the clothing that russell mentioned for example like the pencil skirt like as a as an idea i was really taken by all of these kind of references you have such as that um in terms of like the alteration of the body or the transformation of the body to become like appealing to uh, you know other people perhaps or to empower the individual to feel strong or um even like this idea of like plastic surgery or like tummy tucks which i know has also been a reference um can you speak a bit about that idea like the, the way that we as humans want to transform our bodies because also I think it happens in the animal world as well actually it's but not in that literal way of having operations but in terms of like plumage in birds and the way that you might look like a really dull bird and then suddenly you're bright colors or you know there's all these away ways of communicating through through the, the form mm, of the body I think um so in my latest uh works that for example I have a show that's up now in the uh, Kunsthalle Mannheim and it's entitled um, a premium economy, and um, there I there there's a, a number of uh, um, sculptures that sort of perform uh, some sort of functionality in one way or another, but it's sort of questionable what this is actually for. Uh, so I, I it's it's uh, um, I'm, I'm I guess I'm sort of developing. Um, sort of a, 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 like a formal language of um, trying to, you know, guide uh, the performers into position uh, and that way making, let's say, sort of a sculptural script for the performers. Uh, and what they're doing is really to sort of fit their bodies into this uh, kind of seemingly uh yeah functional forms but in a way they they really have to sort of adjust i think that their their, their bodies in a way becomes merge together with these objects eventually um and i think this has sort of been a theme in my practice from the very start that i I, I mean, I started making uh, 
a performance piece back in 2009 that was entitled Girlfriend Experience. And it was really about this idea of actively trying to objectify oneself and turning oneself into, let's say, an, a, a product or maybe um, something a user-friendly, let's say, uh, and uh, being at one ser- being at service in in sort of a, a yeah seemingly uh, offering a, a, a kind of a commercial service while actually manipulating the 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 viewer or whoever is going to receive this service into some sort of action that might be I don't know it's it, 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 at the end of the day quite quite manipulative but helpful somehow <laughs> I don't know how how to describe it but but I think this this idea of sort of shaping uh, the body into something that feels closer to an object and but also sort of doing so in as 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 a, as a sort of behavioral plane uh, simultaneously is something that I've been sort of interested in for quite some time but your your work is rooted in sculpture but fundamentally for me everything is performance based if we're seeing the static uh, sculptures they're performing for us you we were just talking about premium economy and there's i love that title and another title continental breakfast that I has all these sort of concept bre- the, these are these um furniture pieces that you've created that then get activated by a performer uh, or a member of the public, uh, if they're allowed to, to clamber in, and they have these armrests and footrests and like knee joints, and you get in, and it's like a balancing act. Uh, again, it's figurative, and and even without the performer present, these are figurative objects because you can see the shape that a human body would make. When did you realise that the figure uh, was, you know, the, these these female figures, these hyper kind of um, feminine figures, were? the device were how you were going to tell your stories? Mm, I mean, I think, I think what happened, I mean, it, it sort of happened gradually, um, starting from performance and making, um, reacting to um, th- th- different situations and, and try and, and really understanding uh, performativity as, as, an, as sort of an act that has been rehearsed so many times that we are becoming uh, the, 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 what we're acting, let's say. And then, in a way, trying to tweak, look at that as, as a, a look at performativity as sort of a daily life script that I, I was sort of trying to uh, tweak in, in, in different manners. Um, and, um, yeah, somewhere... Along the way, when working with performers, I I wanted to sort of started to sort of translate my role as a performer into something that was outside of myself. So that's how I came about sculpture. I mean, I did sculptures previously, but used them more as sort of props for for 
different video performances that I did, but but the figurative sculptures really came out of the same uh, place as my performance performer pieces uh, were coming from. Yeah. And the earlier works, uh, the face was very visible, but these later works, they're faceless, and we're seeing this long. Uh, they look quite expensive uh, wigs that are covering up uh, the features. W why is that important that they're faceless for you now? And what does that give you? I think um, just just as a, you know, because I try, I did a couple of, as you mentioned, some some works in the, in the early, uh, early figures, figurative sculptures that had, that had a face visible. And something happens as for me as a viewer, you kind of you, you, you constantly want to go, you want to see the face, you want to understand who you're looking at, and you want to see, you probably want to see the eyes as well. And for me, that was a bit because I, the type of faces that I was interested in was also very sort of, um, I guess uh, I had a lot of work done, let's say, like I would want them to be, um, I'm, I'm, I mean, I've always been interested in the sort of some, some sort of generic uh, beauty standards, let's say. And uh, I guess the idea of being some sort of performed genuinity uh, and the idea, like, so, so, so I guess the idea of what we think of as authentic, let's say, and many, uh, many of us wants to connect that the identity to a face, but in when working with sculpture, in my opinion, it sort of dies a little bit there. Like I'm, I'm, I'm walking, I'm, I'm, I'm confronted with this work, and I see this face. And and that's it, you know. But if there's like some wild hair in front of the face, then you never. There are a lot of you have to sort of fill out the blanks yourself as a viewer. And I think yeah. the character becomes much more sort of present and in a way uh, alive in the space if you don't. They feel quite. Yeah. Yeah. It feels quite intimidating, weirdly. It feels like there's there's sort of, for me, they're tinged slightly with violence at a point that they could turn around and slap you and be like, stop looking at me, even though they want it. It's like, it's really, it's this really fine balance. But I, I would just, I would love to talk about, like when you come to see your sculptures, the work that goes into it, and I'm trying to imagine how big your studio is and if you have a fabrication workshop and how big your team is, because these things are so intricate and beautifully rendered How, what is the sort of work that goes into each sculpture and what is the materiality because they blow my mind well um it, I, I really come from a pretty um classical sculptural you know approach so i would um start <laughs> with a post that i'm curious about at the moment and then i have I, in the very beginning i did a lot of uh posing myself and ask my friend or partner to just take a lot of pictures and then but now so you're very flexible then right you're incredibly flexible because some, some of these angles are insane exactly so they're, they're very flexible ones i have to quickly <laughs> go over to i have a friend who, who's a stunt 
Helga Wettmann. She's doing stunt. Uh, she's she's kind of tiny, uh, really flexible um, person. And she uh, she would I would ask her to do all these impossible poses and and photograph her in all all angles. Basically, scan her her from every possible uh, angle and print out all of these pictures on the walls in my studio and and then start making a, 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 an armature out of uh, metal and then build with uh, with clay on top of this. No way, yeah, they're clay. Yeah, yeah, so first clay and oh. then it's casted. So so yeah. So I would uh, I would sculpt in clay and then cast in in fiberglass and and aqua resin. Um Wow. Does, does, does the clay get lost in the process? Yeah. You know, when you do the, oh, it gets lost. So that's kind of magic, isn't it? Well, so you it. basically you you basically take uh, the yeah. So the clay the clay original, let's say, is long gone. But but the yeah. So so I would I would do take take these forms and and once I have this solid sculpture in in fiberglass, I would. Uh, start the process of the, the sort of this sur- surface uh, that would be it's very I guess it's, uh, comparable to a painting or you know it's 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 I, I don't necessarily plan that much I just really just see, tr- put things on and try things until until I can sort of res- until I respond to it myself and I guess that's when um, Are you constantly like archiving and acquiring fashionable pieces, or like you were saying, you'd go past and it'd be like a uh, an, a counterfeit handbag or a counterfeit coat? Or I think you were saying, I read an article that you only wear fake Balenciagas yourself because you feel like it's better than actually spending eight hundred euro on a pair of <laughs> Balenciagas. There's something about like the fact that you could you'd feel like an idiot if you actually spent that money, so you're fine wearing the fake stuff. But do you have like a whole wardrobe or a closet for these women that you can sort of dress them like a stylist it feels like in some capacity i mean i would so a lot of material that i'm using is also actually not even fabrics like i would use um vinyl flooring and some rattan uh, pieces or you know like i i would because i think there, there there's been sort of a long uh period when when I also sort of was interested in seeing how these figures could uh, again melt into some some sort of imaginary interior and thinking of um, you know sort of generic hotel rooms with these really sort of veneers that were all uh, this aspirational materials that sort of one wants to look uh, like I don't know whatever material it's referring to, but it has starting to you, you know it's sort of a copy of a copy. So it's in one point it's it's hardly it's questionable what it is we're looking at even like it's sort of a yeah, you yeah, know yeah, it's sort yeah, of a yeah. mutant of of marble let's say <laughs> so. And I think that is that's the type of material that I'm curious about, like this sort of, I guess, simulated uh, ideas of of 
of interior interiors that are then later applied onto these um, to these figures. Um, There's also this this kind of like uselessness of the design sometimes you know like you, you you're in a hotel room and you've got all these things and it seems like the room's being really helpful to you because you've got all these ledges and all these tables and a writing desk and you know all this stuff and then you're like a i can't turn the lights on b i don't need a little ledge you know what i mean like the whole thing is just kind of impractical but it kind of looks like they're trying to be so helpful and it's also kind of ugly and it got me onto thinking about the way that i first felt about your work was this idea of municipal space so like almost like town planning or like public space and in the UK Carl Friedman and I I work with him at the gallery like we often go to like around different towns and to go and see different museums and all those kind of things you know you travel following your artist and we always have a joke like it's the municipal space because it's like you know they, they've made a fake park that has like concrete floor and like one tree and it's like really grim and it always feels like it's trying to be helpful but it actually is just totally impractical and useless but when I when I saw your work I just thought the attention to reference it's so interesting because you have like, I don't know, hand, handlebars or like, I don't know, there's all these little things that are really subtle references to kind of the contemporary like desperation for futuristic kind of healing through like science fiction, but it's actually really badly made or something. Or even when you're in an airport and you're walking through and then you see all those machines massaging people and you're kind of like, do I really want a massage from like a computer? You know what I mean? Like, is that really defeating the point of it? Or for me, I just, I don't know. It just makes me laugh. Is municipal space something that, that directly informs the work? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely uh, resonate with everything that you just said. Like, it's, it's like I think this whole idea of, of uh, making something feel like it, it, it's, it's sort of like it's it, it sometimes I think a hotel room or, 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 or the park that you just described, it's sort of it's almost like this sort of simulated idea of what we so supposed to appreciate i guess but yeah. it's it's just sort of mediocre at the end of the day you know and it's uh, i guess this is also why i'm curious about this the the all sort of hyper generic uh, aesthetics because it's it's also when every, when something is supposed to be for everybody it's questionable who is it actually for? Like, who wants yeah. this? You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> who asked for it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, did we just want some trees? Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, some real trees with real soil. And it's actually. also this this feeling of sort of deep, deep fake. It's it's just it's yes. been faked so many times over and over again. At one point, it, it's uh, I, I guess it's sort of. I don't know. It's I guess it's sort of this this idea of staging uh, something that is supposed to make us feel good, or it's supposed to be I guess the an authentic experience. But then this uh, the, the this idea of the, whatever authentic is becomes just a too fetish uh, uh, fetishized thought to begin with, and we just sort of. Yeah, it's so. I think I think a lot of these these exactly this is what I'm really interested in in my practice. But then, how is that manifested in choice of materials and like what what type of uh, 
how, how yeah, I, 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 I think I'm just curious to, to combine different, different markers and materials to sort of uh, trigger, trigger that, uh, maximize that uh, feeling of, I guess, I don't know if it's if whatever, if we call it uselessness or, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of looking fake, but being, uh, being expensive, but it looks fake or, or, you know, like all of this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. I think it's it's basically we're all like adhering to the most dominant culture when it comes to, you know, municipal design and fashion and what, what we perceived that's meant to be. And what you do is you kind of distort those traditions and you play with that. And do you do you consider an audience coming into your work? Because I found it really fascinating when I was walking around the perimeter gallery recently that everybody's so quiet. And this work is so raucous and kind of sexy and out there, but yet there's this real studious like silence around it. Like you don't want to disturb them. It's quite it's quite a creepy energy at times. Do you consider an audience and how they feel about you? Because I'm sh- I'm sure over the years you've had various people saying that it's kind of uh, bondage or sadomasochism, or is it about control, or is it you know. You know, we were saying about have they got agency? Haven't they got agency? What, how much of the audience do you have in your mind's eye when you're creating your work? Mm, I mean, I would. I mean, I always consider myself as the audience. Like, I, I mean, making making work in my studio, I'm sort of this, the first hand audience, and I'm I was whatever I respond to that's that's what, what sort of guides me further on into the uh, practice. Um, but it's, you know, predicting, I, th- I, I think, I think, I guess when I start, so taking it back again to where, how I started making my performance pieces, I, I, I purposefully wanted to bring in the, uh, you know, mix mix context for how um, what what behavior is sort of appropriate uh, here, but not there, and so forth. And um, I had this one piece in um, that was called uh, "Body uh, Stre- Stretch," and the wait, what was it now? We need to edit this because I don't remember the name. It was like uh, <laughs> mind, uh, body, mind, stretch, uh, and submission. And um, I was invited for a, a, a Christmas lunch uh, that was hosted by the top galleries in Stockholm back in 2013, I think. And they had gathered all their collectors um, and 
they wanted me to sort of show up as a, a sort of a host, hostesses, uh, because my girlfriend experience, uh, my previous uh, performance was sort of similar as a hostess, but uh, when I uh, got this invitation, I thought it could be interesting to do something more out of that. So we, uh, and so I was there together with two other um, girls that I uh, invited to perform with me, and we we were enacting sort of these uh, per- personnel or like this event service personnel that would. Uh, refill people's glasses, but then, as uh, uh, it, it, but it, then thinking if we would have been the hostess, then we we should have also been invited for I guess a glass or something to drink. Uh, so we asked after we refilled, we said, can we please? Uh, would you would you mind uh, uh, inviting us back for for something to drink? And so we handed over the, the, the bottle of champagne to the viewers and they would, or to the, to the audience, and then we would kneel down and sort of open our mouths, look them straight into the eyes while they were pouring champagne into our mouths. Uh, so what happened was really that there was this, this, uh, this fancy collector dinner turned into some sort of really kinky, uh, you know, dom, dom and the slave scenario where uh, we were... Obsessed. <laughs> oh, how many of you, how many performers were there? It was just me and two other uh, performers. And, uh, and with the champagne that, go everywhere, was you like covered? That's even more you, focused. Yeah, it's just like that's amazing. It's a bit terrifying. I mean, I can imagine these collectors being like, "Oh God, um, okay, yes, I will do this." And I bet it was going all over your clothes, and that was something obviously you yeah, embraced. It would really just sort of drip down. So it would have this. It was it would be a very sort of straightforward come shot, like I guess bukkake. Yeah, yeah. You know, image. Bukaki. Yeah. Yes, yes. And the... Oh, we need a Bukaki champagne party somewhere <laughs> else. We need to bring this back. This oh is God. incredible. This is completely up my street. But yes, I, I think what happened there was really that I, I, I did, we did everything right, so to speak. Like we played along with the sort of rule book of how, how these sort of service personnel behaves. And then also from my perspective, I I was an artist that just graduated at the time from art school, and you know there's this one unwritten rule that you never really approach a gallery yourself, like you have to be, you know, picked, uh, and that sort of passive role for me was very di- kind of difficult and frustrating in many ways. So, and there was obviously this sort of power dynamic between artist and and collector at the time so for me to sort of just bringing this um, unspoken I guess power uh, dynamics to the very forefront of the of the situation and make that let's say visible and becoming this sort of power bottom let's say at the time and and or being on top from the bottom let's say or really trying yeah, and in that sense, also, I guess being there at service, but 
it's questionable who asked for this, like who, and in a way also dominating the situation while helping. You know what I mean? And but the, also yeah. entertaining them at the same time because they're all watching you. So you 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 are the performance. It's a really complicated structure. I love it. It but it became so they became obviously part of it as well. Yeah. And and this in in this specific case, I I really uh, was sort of intrigued by how how one could sort of tweak and flip different uh, social uh, events, you know, and there's the crowd that's there, that's given. Wow, you have that you have this for free already. And then also what, what I thought was beautiful about it was that everybody who attend a, a, a dinner like this, they're already sort of performing. They're performing their best self. So they're a little bit self-centered already. And which means that they may, might not be fully, uh, pay, they might not fully pay attention to what this, what they're actually participating in, which was, um, yeah, they, they might be a bit too distracted to, to see what, what was actually they're happening. All, but also self-conscious because they're being watched by their peers yeah. and the ones that, the other collectors or the and other patrons or the gallery director. So there's a sense of that social too. contracts, aren't they? And you're, yeah. you're breaking those social contracts. Breaking the did, social veneer. Did they love it? I mean, what was the response? Were they absolutely embracing it? Did it just kick off? They did. They, they all, they were all a bit uh, sort of... Uh, I guess intimidated, but also excited somehow. But also, I think they found it a bit scary too. I heard many because we filmed the whole thing. I can send you the link. Um, yes, please. And they were just—they were like, "Oh, oh, this is scary." Or somebody said, <laughs> "So, yeah." Yeah, it's intim so. intimidating and it's uncomfortable. That's really good because that is also something I wanted to talk to you about, which is this undercurrent of. It's not sinister, but it's kind of like almost like a classic thriller movie. And often when I look at your work, I have a soundtrack in my head and it's always something from the 70s or 80s or something like that. And there's some kind of like synths playing, but like early synths and also a bit of an American horror um, kind of gruesome like undercurrent and it's quite subtle but I feel like it's throbbing and it's kind of like there and there's this threat like whether it be the dentist chair you know you have often you have like subtle references that I think would recall something in the viewer's brain can you speak a bit about that idea of horror or threat mm, I'm not sure I mean for me um I guess Going back to the the idea of the social contracts and that that, that we we have we have these sort of unspoken agreements of how we behave, you know, and I guess that's where I find BDSM something uh, very interesting because there this contract is very spelled out and it's sort of you know. Uh, black and white, like this is this is what we agree, this is our actual agreement. Um, so for me, translating those type of social contracts into sort of sculptural works start to become in a way like I guess like a sculptural social agreement or something. I try to spell it out in a certain sense, and there is a uh, there is the level of. I guess sorting out what, what, what different sort of power power structures and, and, and relations to how we how we um, relate to our own bodies, uh, but also in in relation to 
these objects and how the public view is sort of part of that and uh, maybe even propelled by um, social media and, and uh, other sort of technologies that makes makes this uh, interaction even more, uh, I guess, on view or on display. So there's this voyeuristic um, factor to it as well. Yeah, the permission to stare, keep going back to that. But what, what is a night out with Anna like? Are you a pervert? Do you end up getting? Do you end up getting into situations? What? What? What is? Are you playing out fantasies through this work, or is this something that you really are? Is is kind of an authentic kind of lifestyle for you? I mean, I have to say because I come from I. Okay, so I don't want to live on like old merits or how do you might call it, but I used to be pretty wild party like I loved you know I was a pretty wild party girl I suppose uh, but like I haven't been drinking alcohol now since over four years or something like that so I'm just sort of I I kind of left that behind in the sense that I'm not I'm not doing I'm not I'm not that person uh, anymore let's say uh I guess I'm not the most fun person. I mean, I I I I love go. I still go out a lot. Like I'm, but I just don't drink. I just don't. I just don't get wasted. Um, so I'm not. I'm not that. Uh, let's say, I'm just pretty decent, actually. <laughs> Disappointing. <laughs> boring. <decent>. boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but people, yeah. but people come into this work, which just would have you know, they would just create a narrative for the artist, which I guess is something that you, I hope, embrace and enjoy, the, the, what people would think you're like. Because before you came on today, there's not many, you know, our audience can't see you, but there's not many things online of what you look like, you know, and in some ways I was thinking, are you in the work? Because you've, you've also made this film, which has uh, been a commission, co-commission with the Perimeter Gallery, yourself, and uh, another space. You'll have to remind you. me who that other space Right and Black Cube, and this is the first time you've done that. And there's there's the performers in that with the pencil skirts and the and the kind of gel back hair. And then there's this there's this sort of matriarch who's guiding you round uh, at one point, sort of it, it, introducing you to these torture objects they look like to begin with. And I I assumed if that was you, maybe at some point, but that isn't you either. You don't appear in any of your performances. No, I again by now I feel I think. I mean, there was. I think this 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 performance that I did back in with the, at the Christmas dinner with the collectors. It was it was quite an intense experience, and I loved it. But I also felt afterwards that I wanted to sort of move. I wanted to either start directing or I wanted to move this this uh, character instead of having me uh, performing this. Um, role, I would I would transfer uh, this energy to a sculptural work instead. So I really enjoy being able to sort of watch what's happening. And if I'm in the picture myself, I'm just not, you know, able to do that in the same way. I sort of see you as a conductor for some reason. Mm. I keep bringing music back to it, but I, I sort of see you as this great mastermind and that it's all like, you know, your hands are above it all somehow. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, I hear Björk 
Bjork going through it as well, like the, the musicality of that and the, the stuff that goes really fantastical when you see the music videos and, and the costumes and the kind of hyper-realism that she's playing with. I feel like that there's a real energy with your work and her work. Yeah, I mean... Um... I think I think she, yeah she's very fantastic. I love her. Uh, I think although I have to say what I, I I think where I relate to or where I come from is is maybe not necessarily that sort of drama. It's not that much drama or theater. Let's say more. I'm trying to stay with what we recognized as you know something very realistic. But in within this realism, there is a lot of layers of performativity, and and that's that's kind of where um where my interest is. You know, she she almost came out of the punk era as well, because I think her performativity has gone almost like to opera or something. But it is a very hyper real digital space as well. But for me, it was more like planning to rock or like the knife or where it's a similar universe kind of as Bjork, but it's sort of a bit more specific or Tori Ronas as well the performance artist from um from Norway I love her work as well um, I think you've described it as um a, perver a perverted performative version of reality the way I experience it <laughs> so which good. is just so amazing and also you've said it, instead of representing something I want to trigger something so that it becomes real in a way mm. it's always you know you're, you're you're pushing it somewhere where it feels like out of our realm and then before you know it, it becomes our reality because we're coexisting and next to it. And it's an invitation. It. It's like an invitation yeah, to yeah. the viewer to, to interact. You've got to be brave around the work. Your work commands a certain bravery from the audience member to engage with it. Because, you know, there's, there's titles like um, Pussy Padding or Rosebud. And there's piercings that go all the way along like genitalia at different moments. And, you know, it makes you uncomfortable to be observing this artwork where someone else is observing you you know that that, that notion when you're looking at quite at artwork that's quite um out there and you know that other people are watching your reaction and there's definitely that feeling around your work which i i love i embrace and i'm always watching audience members around you know your work and how audience members behave in front of like the paintings of lisa yaskavage for example you know or even tracy emin it's like the way that people are allowing themselves to behave around it is really as, as fascinating as the work itself. Yeah, I think, I think it's really um, also, I guess what I'm curious about is to how far can, how, how I guess, how do you know, but if it would be just straight up nudity, or if you would just put like a, you know, some bit, I, I don't know, actual genitalia in somebody's face, you would have this really sort of, I guess, reaction that is the, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think what, uh, what I'm curious about is really what, what is about, what, what happens when, when you sort of do all that, but in a, in a, in a cute way, or like, I mean, for me, I'm, I've been curious about this, how everything that is sort of commercially uh, viable or it has has a level of cuteness to it, and um, how how grown ups are sort of in a sense becoming cuter and cuter, and in a way also 
uh, more and more like the sort of in this infantilization of adults uh, uh, that I'm sort of also find kind of pervert perverse in a really sort of intriguing uh, way. So I'm, I'm, um, and I think I guess yeah, this sort of in your face um, experience. I, I I I sort of still wanna keep it. Um, how do you say? I still wanna I still want this to be in in within the limits of what one consider uh, guess it, it, normal. Let's say normal. Yeah, uh, normal for me is already really weird. You know, it's it's really it's 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 completely twisted. But um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for some people coming to the work, they'd be like completely unshocked. They're like, well, this is, I know these people. I've got that outfit. You know, there must be people that come to that and be like, oh, great, I'm seen. I do exist. There I am. (laughs) That must be really fascinating. There is something subversive, though, about it, like for sure. I think at at its core. And I, I love that about it. There's a kind of like strength in that sub subversive. Yeah, totally. What What are the rules you set for yourself when it comes to like your art practice? Do you not work on a certain day? Do you only create work when you're building towards exhibitions? You know, for other artists listening, what is your studio practice and what, what are the rules that you've set? Um, I mean, I just have, I make sure to have one day a week where I'm not working. Uh, I didn't have that before for a really long time, but then I'm, since I moved to to Germany, uh, you know everything is closed here on Sundays. I don't know, so so, but that's just that for me that was a bit strange, and I I, I never had these rules before. I could work any time of the day and night, any all all uh, days of the week, you know. But I think it's kind of healthy and it feels good to have one day a week when when it happens to be a Sunday now where I'm just not working. And uh, it's good for for everything, for the work and for me and for for everyone. I think I generally need some sort of deadline to to get anything done. (laughs) And so for me, a deadline is really sort of a tool actually to to just push things forward um it needs to have a time frame for a project is really important otherwise it's it, everything gets very uh random at one point How how's it felt doing the show at the perimeter where you've got 10 sculptures that you've made over a period of seven years because as a contemporary artist often you're just constantly moving on to the next thing moving forward pushing forward trying to not think about the immediate past has it been useful to like look back and kind of see it all together as a body of work yeah very much so and I'm also I'm so happy to also uh, work with with Alex at the at the perimeter. They're just lovely uh, people to work with, and this space is absolutely fantastic. So it was very satisfying for me to see all these works um, that marks really like a chapter in my uh, practice uh, presented in in a space that is has all this sort of domestic qualities but yeah. then again being very much a, a gallery space 
as well. So I think an elevated. Yeah, it's a very elevated space, isn't it? Like aesthetically beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and when you see it, there's this carpeted, like it's carpeted in certain rooms. It makes such a difference to you know your experience of receiving art when you're in this sort of hyper comfortable situation, which you wouldn't normally experience in the gallery context. God, talking of carpets, I love that work where you've got the sculpture and it's like clawing the carpet. Clawing across the carpet. Mm-hmm. That is one of the most face. sensory <laughs> fucked up works ever. I love <laughs> it. That like. You have my heart in this work. It's, just <laughs> it's so you, Rob. That's what you it's do all the so time. <laughs> no, you throw Rob on like, carpet. It just makes you flooring. feel so strange as it, like when you're looking at it yeah, because it, it's it feels so intimate and like ecstatic and all of these things. But it's funny feel, as well. Yeah, it's I think funny as well. Exactly, you know, yeah. Humour plays such an important role in all of your practice. And I think in some capacity you can sort of um, neglect to include that in your, you know, the way you're receiving the work, and actually, it's so important. You know, and talking to you now, you're obviously uh, a very funny person, and, and can make light of, you know, sex, which is uncomfortable for many people, and they can't. I mean, I think uh, this is also sometimes I get, um, as you mentioned, that the people, that the, that the audience is could be sometimes very quiet around my work. It's also for me a bit surprising, I gotta say, because I do think that there is a there. The, yeah, I I I I I definitely come from. I mean, I think I think I guess humor in general has to have sort of a, a I guess a serious or there has to be something uh, quite uh, disturbing to it for it to actually work uh, and uh, I think thinking of thinking of comedy or, co- or also really like really great comedians there they can sort of hit the spot on like a lot of levels at the same time so it becomes sort of the complexity of a really uh, that, that that could make that could make you laugh. Sometimes you don't even know why you're laughing, kind of. And I think that is that is the quality that art uh, can have too. Like you don't necessarily have to bring an answer to the table. You can you can actually open up for um, you know more questions, or it can be. It, I think also. In my in in my case, I, I I get I'm really sort of attracted to certain topics that are also sort of deeply problematic at the same time, and and letting that uh, sort of conflicting uh, those conflicting sort of feelings towards something uh, exist uh, simultaneously is is. Yeah, it. I. I. I guess that's that's. I think it's interesting when 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 a work can sort of have the ability to to just to be many things at the same time. Yes, yeah, multi nuanced. All of your practices totally, and I think as artists, you have to be people that are engaging with problematic ideas to work them out into art. That's what artists do. I always thought the word punchline was really a great word as well because it is like a punch almost it's like it's like the final moment that you kind of reveal the joke in a way but there's something quite profound about it and political and actually um at its core i think a lot of comedy can be to do with liberation as well um as can art you know and as can some of the greatest artists i think i think there's something about your work that that kind of offers a sense of liberation 
for for the, for people to unlock something or their own potential or or their weird psyches like the things they're trying to hide from themselves or just the fact that they're a slut <laughs> how do you, how, before we go on to our final questions how do you feel about the digital realm because you mentioned social media earlier and the impact it can have i know you've had a video before that went viral from a uh meredith rosen performance um so you've already had an experience of that was like continental how, breakfast wasn't yeah it? continental breakfast yeah, yeah. How, how a performance can somehow go into a whole other audience like through the internet are you interested in ai are you are you kind of interested in 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 making films that that just exist in in the internet or um, yeah, so um, I would come from, I mean, I did this one, there's this one work on view in the, the, at the Parameter uh, in Home Records that's, uh, that's titled uh, Journey of Self-Discovery, uh, which is a figure that sort of take a, a selfie of her own uh, behind, let's say. And in this work was... Uh, I've made that 2016 um, and uh, I think what I you know what I was interested in is sort of this feedback loop of uh, I guess reward systems of you know you you get you you respond to imagery that you also sort of uh, bring out back into the uh, in this 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 loophole of of interaction that I think uh, social media can can be sometimes and and also this idea of that we I, I guess it's it's also really sort of this, this rewarding um the, the you know how we how we sort of get rewarded up to for certain behaviors uh, and in a way. It's, um, I'm curious how much you know that algorithm really sort of goes in ingrained in our behavior and how certain type of I guess mimetic uh, behavior is 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 uh, developed uh, and um I guess I'm also interested in uh, this idea of I mean. And this was even back in 2009 when I did this performance uh, girlfriend experience, but it was it was so much about trying to sort of actively behave as a as a product. How how what is that? And just being this sort of um, you know ob objectify uh, oneself in the sense that you could. Uh, get this sort of very self self aware uh, performed genuinity and for me that uh, I, I mean I, I am curious about this sort of generic behaviors that are uh, altered personal or authentic but it feels to me that we are um, fabricating we're pushing this idea of what this uh, authentic, uh, authentic behavior actually is, you know, and uh, and why are we even doing that? Like it's it's like so, so many of these questions yeah, are, yeah. are sort of interesting for me, and I think yeah, 
Uh, it's a mo- modification of behavior, isn't it? And and in a way, it's similar to the pencil skirt or it's similar to, I think it's like a hu- the human condition and the way our brains work in the internet. It's just become really likely. Well, it's almost like the fake, the fake thing is almost more authentic than the actual real thing. Do you know what I mean? That's what right. it's sort of onto. And I think that is, you know, what your practice is. And that's just fucking great. I love talking to you. We're going to go into our final questions now. Um, if you could do an art heist, you could steal any work of art in the world for yourself, what would it be and why? Oh, uh, what would it be and why? Okay. Um, I would probably want to have... I would snatch the Mona Lisa. <laughs> do you ever look at other... Um like sculptors that deal with hyperrealism, like I, I've really considered Rom Newark into some capacity when I think of your work and the fact that these are hyperreal, he plays around with scale, uh, but it's this, again, it's quite an uncomfortable situation when you're encountering his sculpture. Because or Robert it, Gober as well. Robert Gober, for example. Yes, you know, there's this whole thing. Do you ever think of these, yourself in the lineage of these artists that are really playing with the hyperreal? Mm, I don't. Actually, I have to say that I, I don't, I am actually, I don't think I'm relating that much to um, hyper-realist artists. I mean, I, I, I would say, I mean, back in the days, I used to, was, I was an intern for Ryan Chicarden and Lisa Fitch, for example. Yes. And they have been, I mean, I, I they, their art really blew my mind. Yes. And they're still... They still do, you know, it's like, so I think um, for me, the, the type of hype, hyper that I would be interested in, like, goes more in their direction than this sort of very sort of, what you would think of as hyper realist, sort of very sort of crafted, uh, I don't know, it's, it's very technical, usually, I think. And I'm, did you ever get involved in any of their films? The like 24-hour films that they did? Uh, no, I was there at the time when there was no... They didn't shoot anything when I was there, oh, unfortunately. Okay. But, um, no. Wild. Well, that must They're be wilder so cool. and more experimental, for sure. So cool. um, the other question we ask every guest is, what is your favourite colour? Okay. I would say perhaps sort of lavender light blue lavender and why what is that i have no idea <laughs> just respond to gonna... it soft it's soft yeah do you wear soft. that color do you ever like have that in, around you yeah sometimes yeah i don't do you think it's like what? i don't really have a favorite color like i would say like right now i'm doing i'm, I'm very much have like all this sort of Tones. I'm, I'm very much into like different sort of gray tones, but um, I've been very sort of also sort of trying to. Like, I've been working a lot with different type of so-called nude uh, tones that are also this sort of artificial idea of skin tones. Let's say, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like skims, like the Kardashian skims. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's also loads of controversy around all of that, you know, because of 
different people's skin colors and for sure. how inaccurate it all is and how, yeah you know the same with the history of photography there's so many kind of like racist structures within all of that is gross um but I, I thought you were going to say steel gray or something like some kind of cool metal color dystopian <laughs> a dystopian color what is um the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your art hmm. i don't know maybe maybe somebody told me actually i think I think somebody actually told me once because I was really, I used to be so stressed out, like in, in a sense that was really not healthy. And this have all had to do with deadlines. And then somebody said, well, use your the deadline is really uh, the best tool you could use to get something instead of feeling that you're uh, being uh, crushed under, under the pressure. You could actually use it as a, a to your advantage. It's sort of a, it's it's a tool to to get anywhere, you know, and that mm. that helped a lot. It really did to reduce anxiety. Yeah, that's yeah. going to be great advice for someone listening who's who's well for anybody listening who's on deadlines to actually see it as a positive uh, movement, as an energy of momentum well, rather than it's almost than like a, a gift you're being rather given, than fatigue yeah. or paralyzed. Yeah. So yeah, it is yeah, a, yeah, gift. Yeah. a deadline is is a privilege. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Yeah, totally. We love deadlines. We love you. We love privileges. So thank Before you we so go, much. can you tell us in the studio, do you listen to music or do you and do you have any snacks um, to like keep you going? What's your fuel? Yes, I, I definitely listen to music. Um, the, it's, I sometimes I'm happy that people around me are also into uh, listening to things on repeat because I do that a lot. <laughs> The same, same song. song. Repeat, yeah, I, I would have, or like it would be maybe an hour mix that would go on repeat for a whole project. What sort, what sort of genre of music? I mean, I would. There was one. I had a really long uh, period with uh, with Frill. He's a, he's like I guess techno. Uh, I mean, I love everything. I kind of, but I, I think, but definitely, I think techno is is really is really good for studio work because it's sort of. When it's not too much, it's good when it's not too much lyrics. It's it's just sort of puts you in this um, work high mood. Yeah. Well, you're in you're in Berlin, so I think techno is something that they're renowned for. I don't think you're going to have a lack of being able to access techno, techno in Berlin. <laughs> just get down to the uh, Bergheim. what's the, the Bergheim exactly, which Panorama. I've been turned away from twice and never been to. But one I day have been I will there go there. Twice, <laughs> I know. Show off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this has been heaven, uh, Anna Udenberg. Thank you so much for coming on. It's such a privilege to talk to you. So the exhibition Home Wreckers is at the Perimeter Gallery in uh, Clerkenwell in London. That is on until when, Rob? 22nd of December. So you still have a week to go and see it before Christmas and make it your Christmas gift, going and, and seeing Anna's work. <laughs> there is a, there's posters there that you can get that are signed, which are beautiful. And also you have a big exhibition at the Kunsthalle, which we didn't really talk about, the Kunsthalle Mannheim. Yep. Yeah, and that's on into, into next year? Exactly, until I think uh, late April next year. Great, amazing. And you're on social media? You're on Instagram? Yeah, I am. And your name? Uh, yeah. My name is Filet Mignon Thong. So it's Filet Mignon Thong. Thong, exactly. Which we, we will link to. Uh, but um, what, what is that? Just quickly, people are going to be like, why? What is that? So like a well, I was, a I, I, you know, I started this Instagram account, didn't have any followers. And I thought, 
that was why not this great name <laughs> and now i can't really get rid of it or i don't want to get rid of it I, no, I no, everybody wants it. that everybody wants that handle everybody's after that handle <laughs> never you could yeah yeah that's how you identify we respect that and you can go to the perimeter.co.uk to get details of the show and um there on instagram as well at the perimeter london and who's your gallery do you have a gallery? Yeah, so I work with uh, Kraupa Tuskenit Seidler here in Berlin. Oh, yes. And yes. Uh, Meredith Rosen Gallery in New York. So we will so, link yeah. to both of those as well. And yeah. thank you to them for uh, allowing us to chat to the legend that is Anna Udberg. She's also great on social media. Yeah. I love Meredith. Um, so we will be back very soon. Thanks, thank Anna. you for listening. And let's go wreck some homes. Okay. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs> You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.